and welcome to this week's edition of Horrible House. Tonight, Miss Tina takes us downtown to see how newspapers are made. Oh, spooky. Hey, Dan. Hi, Riley. How are you? I'm just, uh, I'm calling in today from the Weird Submarine. How, how do I sound? Wasn't that terrible? <laughs> I, I didn't find it that bad, but I know how much that must have driven you up the wall. Well, it was okay on your episode, but when I went to edit, because we record two episodes a night, when I went to edit my episode, it was unusable. Yes, good listener. So you, there's actually now a phantom episode of The Weird out in the ether. Well, you you were mentioning before we got on here that you were thinking of, uh, we will redo that sometime in season four. Yeah, I want to redo it when we do, it's not so fresh in our heads. So right. that we're, we're both can act surprised because we just recorded this. So. And it's a story of Evil Knievel. And how did he jump over six cars? Don't laugh. I remember the Evil Knievel jumping over the Grand Canyon being a big yeah. fucking deal. Everybody that night was r- like like riveted to the TV. I've watched it. I've watched it. And I even I had his, his uh, action figure, like his the doll with the motorcycle with the ramp and all that. It was, uh, yeah, I knew who Evil Knievel was. He was a big deal in his day. I also wanted to say, in that last episode, I was slurring my words like I was hammered. Were you? No, it's, I have a speech impediment and I'm really good at hiding it and unless I'm tired. And when I'm tired, I start slurring my words. Oh. I, I had a language therapist as a, as a child. So now I can't ever make fun of you for that. We had a mutual theater professor who like instantly knew that I had this speech impediment in like third year. She's like, you have a speech impediment, don't you? And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. In front of everybody? <laughs> no, no. It was actually done very nicely. And, and she was actually saying it in a way to help because she picked up that I was starting to slur some things. Mm-hmm. And so some words I have a very difficult time saying, which is part of the joy of listening uh, to this show is what words will Dan screw up this week? Like somnabulist. Yes. My first interaction with that professor that you're talking about, I was in a show with her and we had to feign a bondage S&M relationship on stage. And then I went to university for theater and she was my teacher. Oh, so that performance... You weren't, she wasn't your professor yet. No, no, I hadn't gone to school for theater yet. I was just out and about acting in the community. Yeah. Wow. So that was, that was a weird moment. That must've been awkward. Yeah. No, but it must've been nice in a sense. And that professor we're talking about is hilarious. She thought it was hilarious. She's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. She's, and she doesn't take any shit, that woman. No, no. No. If you're trying to phone it in, she'll tell you. She was a, a phenomenal teacher. Great actor and director and i wish her well wherever she is yeah i haven't heard about her in years anyway we're boring the um audience with personal talk dan i've got a really interesting story i want to tell you tonight when i first stumbled across it i'll tell you the exact story of how i stumbled across it because it's part of the charm i do jigsaw puzzles to relax they're part of my zen i just I have a jigsaw puzzle table in the basement, and when I just want to unwind, I go work on a puzzle, and I have a TV show on, because the TV's right next to it, and I usually run something that doesn't require too much attention. Well, I ran the um, Unsolved Mysteries series from the 90s, and this came up. Oh. 
And when this came up, I found the images and the story so horrifying and riveting that I thought, I need to go and research this myself. So I did, and I discovered way more than Unsolved Mysteries had included in their little vignette. So I'm going to tell you a story tonight that was inspired by watching reruns of the original Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack, which is so much better than the new one. Yes, of course. And this is kind of a good story for this time of year, Dan. I'm going to tell you the story of the Minnesota Iceman. Ooh, I've never heard of this one. This is a really good one because it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. You're probably thinking already in your head, it's kind of a Bigfoot kind of story, but it isn't. Okay? I wasn't thinking that, and don't you dare put thoughts in my head like that ever again. I wish I could put thoughts in your head. I'd make you do outrageous (laughs) things. You know, speaking of that, though, we really do. I watched a great documentary on the weekend about the Yeti, uh, and it's a it's a um, National Geographic documentary, and they come at it from a very scientific background, so they're not being exploitative and making grand accusations, or not accusations, but um, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, so we, we do need at some point to, and that could be a fun two-parter where we do like Yeti and Sasquatch, and and then we even compare the two. There's Iceman too. There's an Iceman myth that I didn't know about till I researched this. Wow. Okay. Cool. All right. Absolutely. Fire away. This is a good story. You're gonna love all the twists and turns. Trust me. Okay. 1967. I was five years old. A retired Air Force pilot named Frank Hansen is doing the state fair circuit. He's a carny, sort of, and he is displaying what he claims is the first gas-powered tractor ever made. I've seen the exhibit. It's a big piece of machinery. It looks like a very rudimentary tractor, and he would charge admission for people to come and look at this this implement. And remember, he's doing agricultural fairs and farm fairs, so those kinds of things where there's mm-hmm. livestock and agriculture. So the first gas-powered tractor is definitely going to be a draw for those kinds of crowds. At one of those events... A soft-spoken stranger approaches him and explains that he is in possession of an item that Frank might be interested in showing to the public. He leaves him a business card with just a name and a number. So Hansen calls the man and arranges to meet him. And the man says, you're shaking your head no? My neck's sore. I'm stretching my neck like this. Yeah. No, he does not say that to that man. I'm sorry, I don't believe that part of the story. <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing for a second. Why would I be shaking my head no at that? You're just being, well, you know how kids do that? No. No, I was just stretching because I was we're go, We're going to the, hey, hey, Debbie, we're going to the grocery store. No. No, Debbie, get in the car. We're going to the grocery store. No. You know when yeah. they just do that? Yeah, no. Makes me, I actually stretching. do that. I do that as an adult. Okay. So... Hanson calls the man and they arrange to meet. And the man says, I want you to meet me at this address. Hanson shows up and it's a refrigerated warehouse. So the man, I would, I would not have gone through with it because I'm so suspicious of serial killers, but Hanson is much more trusting than I am. The man leads Hanson inside, brings him into a chamber. And there he finds a man like creature frozen in a block of ice stored in a box. The man calls the creature the Iceman and claims to have found him in Minnesota. Hansen is completely overjoyed and he immediately makes a deal with the gentleman to tour this as an exhibit because he's going to make a killing. So from that moment forward, Frank Hansen and his Iceman began to appear at fairs and events 
all over the Minnesota and surrounding areas. It's wild. So, for example, the July 1967 issue of Amusement Business, I would love to have a subscription to that. So Amusement Business featured an article, and the title of that article was New Creature Show Bows, it stated. And here is verbatim what that article said. Among the outstanding back-end shows making its debut this season is Frank Hansen's Siberian Creature. It apparently rolled up the record grosses with the number one unit of Bobby Cone's West Coast shows at the Portland Teenage Fair, with similar success at the Seattle and Omaha Teen Expositions. Don Burton, producer of the Portland event, termed it one of the cleanest and best-conducted attractions we've ever had in our six years of producing fairs. The Creature drew 40% of the approximate 58,000 in attendance. The ticket was 35 cents, 25 cents for kids. Well, it's a teen fair. Aren't they all kids? I think back then they used to have, like, carnivals that they called teen fairs. But anyone could go. Anyone could go. Okay. I just love that it was called Bobby Cone's West Coast Show. Yeah, what a mouthful. <laughs> I know. Bobby Cone's West Coast Show. How did that not take off nationally? You notice I'm trying to do voices like you do. Yes, good for you. I'm happy. So that's the basic first time that we hear about the Iceman of Minnesota. Hansen had a special trailer designed to house that exhibit. And the trailer was 40 feet in length. It had living quarters attached. And one side of the trailer would sort of open out so that people who walked by would be able to see crowds inside looking at the creature without actually seeing the creature. So it create kind of a buzz. Right. Now, the trailer featured a very crude plywood painting of Bigfoot, as well as a number of enlargements of newspaper articles about the Bigfoot legend. Cool. The Iceman itself, the object, the man, the being, was housed in a refrigerated coffin, approximately nine feet in length, that maintained a 10 below zero temperature constantly. The uh, being was frozen in a 3,000 pound block of ice, and there was a double glare of glass vacuum sealed across the top to prevent air from getting in and preventing um, the ice from melting. So he's doing the circuit with the ice man. And how well can you see him through the ice? Do they say? Look on the internet and you can see pictures of it. Okay. It was blurry. Some of the ice uh, people who saw it described the ice as a bit foggy in places, but sure. he was definitely there. You're very busy. What are you doing? What was that? You look like you made an, an incantation. I did. Oh, you're looking for it? Yeah. Oh, huh. I'm going to describe it to you and you'll hear more about it, okay? Okay, Dan. So the next chapter in our story. It's November 1968. An aspiring naturalist named Terry Cullen, who was actually studying at the University of Minnesota, was viewing the animals at the International Livestock Exposition's annual fair in Chicago. And as he was traveling through that event, he saw a banner advertising the Cyberskoy creature. And that's what Hansen called the Iceman, the Cyberskoy creature. Colin himself ran an import-export business that specialized in reptiles. And it's also very important to note that prior to this, Colin was fascinated with the Bigfoot legend because the Bigfoot legend was huge in the 50s and 60s. So he eagerly paid the 35 cents and walked inside. He immediately remarked at how lifelike and strange the creature was. It was covered in dark, stiff hair and had a terrifying face. Actually, everyone who witnessed it was both fascinated and repulsed by the creature. 
Colin spent some time there and believed that this might indeed be the real deal. So he then contacted cryptozoologist Ivan Sanderson, who had written books on Bigfoot and the abominable snowman. See, I could not say that word. No. It took him a while to get in touch with Sanderson, but he finally did. Now, when he found him, Sanderson was actually hosting a gathering of occultists and paranormalists at his home in New Jersey. And his home in New Jersey was called by himself The Farm. In attendance at that event was a gentleman named Bernard Huvelmans, and he was a Belgian-French zoologist who many regard as the father of cryptozoology. Now, you're probably saying, what the fuck is cryptozoology? You did read my mind this time. According to Wikipedia, cryptozoology is a pseudoscience and subculture that aims to prove the existence of entities from folklore. Oh, okay. Cryptozoologists refer to these entities as cryptids, and that's a term that's coined by the subculture itself. You're going to see that. I've actually, in my um, research, seen cryptids from time to time, so that's what that is. Okay. On December the 17th, 1968, Sanderson and Heuvelmans visited the owner's house in Rollingstone, Minnesota. We're talking Hansen. The body was being stored there for the winter months when he wasn't on the fair circuit. They entered a very cramped trailer, the trailer, to inspect the object. Sanderson and Heuvelmans were both shocked, and after a few moments, they were thoroughly convinced that this creature was completely authentic. And they described the creature as follows. A robust, barrel-chested male specimen. It had a thick neck and large feet. The face was wide and flattened with a short upturned nose and pronounced brow ridges. Hmm. One of its eyes was dangling from the socket, Hmm. the apparent result of an obvious gunshot wound. There was also a bend in the forearm that suggested a broken radius and ulna. The hands were huge, with a long tapered thumb and flat, yellowish nails rather than claws. The palm of the hand possessed a heel-like pad, which suggested that this creature had been a quadruped, so it had used its hands and feet to move. The big toe lay alongside the toe next to it, and that is one of the characteristics that divide hominids from apes. Apes have an opposing toe on their feet. Hominids do not. Okay. The glass protecting the creature actually cracked during their examination because they were leaning so heavily on it. And at that point, both scientists described smelling the distinct odor of decomposing flesh. Oh, no. Isn't that wild? I was worried about that. Of that experience, Sanderson stated as follows, and I quote, Looking at the body of a descendant of one of my possible ancestors, especially since it looked as I had always expected it would really shook me up. We spent the afternoon photographing it. I held the lights and things for Bernard while he tried to get shots in under the opaque parts of the ice, and we left at sundown. So Sanderson and Heuvelmans alerted the media, and at that point, Sanderson began referring to the creature as Bozo. Hmm. Well, I guess like Bozo the Clown, I don't know. Yeah. Bozo. That's not very regal. Bozo the Jester. Oh, look, everybody, Bozo's here. Take off your pants and slap your bum. That went in directions I didn't expect. I knew. I'm all about the twists and curves tonight, Riley. Twists and curves. Hello, and how are you enjoying the house at 1410 whatever avenue? What's what's the name of the street? 
It was uh, Boulevard is the name of the street. Boulevard, 1410 something Boulevard. I forget my episodes like five minutes after I'm done. So Sanderson and Hoivelmans wanted to get the creature away from Hansen. So Sanderson alerted the Bureau of Customs, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of the Interior, and the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, hoping that Hansen would be charged by one of those entities. However, that didn't happen because those agencies didn't really take a sideshow attraction very seriously. And they really complained, but nobody did anything about it. You would think like maybe wildlife protection or parks or something like a ranger could have. Yeah, it's, it's a dead, mysterious object. Now, it's worth noting here that from this point on, Hansen claims that the creature was merely a rubber model that was made to resemble the original, which had been reclaimed by its mysterious owner. And I think he did that to protect himself oh. from the object being seized by the authorities. In 1969... Hovelmans actually published a paper about the creature in a Belgian scientific journal where he identified it as a new species of human that he named Homo pongoides, and that translates to ape-like man. Okay. And later, he proposed that it was, in fact, the remains of a living Neanderthal. And these are his words. This is a quote. I must admit that even I, who have spent most of my life in this search, am filled with wonder as I report the following. There is a comparatively fresh corpse, preserved in ice, of a specimen of at least one kind of ultra-primitive, fully-haired man-thing that displays so many heretofore unexpected and non-human characteristics as to warrant our dubbing it a missing link. Mm. So he was actually convinced that this was part of that whole missing link equation mm -hmm. that joins man to primitive man. Mm -hmm. A primatologist from the Smithsonian Institute in Washington named John Napier learned about the Iceman. And after learning the details about it, and, in, and, and particularly the gunshot wound in the, on the face of the creature with the dangling eye, he was so concerned that he reached out to the FBI and asked them to investigate. However, the head of the FBI, a famous Mr. J. Edgar Hoover, mm -hmm. stated that there was no law broken if the creature wasn't human, and the FBI declined to investigate. Napier, though, did inspect the Iceman, and he concluded that it could not be real and had to be, in fact, a latex model. Okay. He was very skeptical. Yeah, yeah. Sanderson countered that argument publicly as follows, and I quote, and this is what he wrote. You just cannot make a corpse like this, either out of bits and pieces of the bodies of other animals or of wax, with some half a million hairs inserted into it. And you can't get the kind of hairs that cover this corpse from any other kind of animal that I know of. Also, the proportions of this body and several of its special features are just not known at all, or at least have never been suggested, either by paleontologists who have studied the fossil bones of primitive man-things, or even by the skilled artists who have fleshed out and made reconstructions of what the former have found. In fact, any artist setting out to make such a thing would have to have a model, and none is available. But apart from that, you can't completely fool two trained morphologists with zoological, anatomical, and anthropological training. No! Bozo is the genuine article. So that's what Sanderson said. Why did it just get super quiet? I realized I had my heater on still. I usually turn it off when we're recording. Oh, that was nightmarish. I thought it was your computer fan. Nope. Now it's beautiful and peaceful. 
So Sanderson very strongly affirming that the bozo is the real thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I should note that the face altered over time. And many believe that this was because the body had been refrozen and thawed on a number of occasions, and so much, in fact, that the appearance had begun to alter due to natural decomposition, even though Hansen did everything he could to make the container airtight. Air would still get in, and constantly thawing and you know refreezing the, the, um, the creature would, would have an impact. Mm-hmm. Now, I should note that there are images found in primitive art throughout the world that look very similar to this guy. Like very similar, the raised brows, the shape of the face, the triangular face. There's a whole bunch of art out there that looks like this guy. Did you ever see the Neanderthal exhibit at the Canadian Museum of History that was here a few years ago? No. It was spectacular. And that's when you were describing his facial features. That's why I was like, oh, that sounds like a, a Neanderthal. And is there anything saying that it died recently? Could it not have died thousands of years ago and just been trapped in ice, maybe shot, but after it was already dead. We're going to be touching on that. Oh, look at you, Mr. Oracle. Ooh. I see the future. They call me Delphi. Hello and welcome to this week's Horrible House. Today, Delphi will pick the lottery numbers. Oh, scary. It's 78, 22, 4,689, 0.76. Congratulations to all our winners. I'm Delphi. I really wish we could do an, just one episode of Horrible House. And it just has to look like it's filmed in somebody's basement. You know, like bad sets. And Well, again, when the pandemic is over and we if we start to record some of these episodes and stream them, then we could do uh, something like that. Or we'll just change the name of the podcast to Horrible House. Actually, that could be our side project. <laughs> Horrible House. Um, the uh, descriptions of the creatures uh, we classify as Bigfoot that we've known and grown up with, the legend of Bigfoot, also are very <laughs> bear a close resemblance to the image of the Iceman. Like the Iceman looks like exactly yeah. what people have described when they see either the Yeti or the Bigfoot. Well, there's the there's a picture because I, I searched uh, what it looks like, but then that iconic one where you see Bigfoot walking into the woods with yes, this big that stride, famous shot. It's there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there too. And it could, it could be, could. Be. I love that picture. I love that. Everyone knows that picture. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there also have been sightings of very similar creatures throughout Asia, more than any other part of the world. So that's important just to keep in the back of your head. Yes. I'm actually coming towards the end of the story because I've talked really heavily wouldn't let me get a word in edgewise i didn't think i'd get through it this fast i didn't want this to be a quick episode but we'll talk about it so hansen claimed that he didn't own the body that it was in fact owned by an anonymous owners now this is fabulous there are tons of rumors out there and people who are convinced that the body was owned by jimmy stewart what yeah like the guy in that movie you love well i know who jimmy but why would is jimmy stewart live in minnesota Apparently, Jimmy Stewart was, like, into Bigfoot. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, 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 well what you got here is, uh, you got, you got, you got, you got a big man, you see? And, and, and he, 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 uh, he, he just wants to walk in the woods, right? So, why, why, come on, come on, come on, come on over and, uh, take a, take a look at, uh, my friend here in, uh, the, the ice. Is there anything weirder than that? Like, to think that Jimmy Stewart, of all people... 
why'd you come into my 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 freezer? And there's there's certain because there's certain kinds of actors, right? Like Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda, who you just think are kind of beyond reproach, right? Because they're just yes. nice he's, guys. Mm-hmm. And well, that doesn't mean if he's into Bigfoot that he's not nice. No, but that's spooky weirdness. That's like Michael Jackson shit, right? To get weird well, things. Well, why'd you put some cream in the basket and make your your skin soft? Right. <laughs> Didn't Michael Jackson had oddities? Didn't he have the elephant man skull? Uh, yeah. And a, some weird monkey well, or something. he had the chimp. He had the whole Neverland thing was an oddity, right? Yeah, he had something to do with the elephant man. What was it, though? Like his bones or something? I think he had the, the skull of the elephant man. Which is really odd. I don't want any skull from a living no. person. You can buy stuff like that, apparently, in Germany. Do you know how I know that? This is how I know that. Because the artist H.R. Geiger, who's famous for doing the interiors of the original Alien movie, right? Yes, that's right, yeah. He used to use actual human bones to make models of them to use in, in his game. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, to make oh. models from. Yeah, to cast from. Uh, going back to your story here, though. So what happened to the body? I'm going to get to that. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So in it, the days of the circuit, the fair circuit, Dan, they estimate like hundreds of thousands of people saw the Iceman. And there are tons of people, if you, um, like they're older now, but will say, oh yeah, I remember. I went to such and such and there was a big line and we got to see the Iceman and it was terrifying. So yeah, he was very popular. All right. Hansen stated that the body had been discovered in a block of ice that was found somewhere in the Bering Sea by Russian seal hunters who spotted it and took it aboard their ship. That was his story. Okay. Yeah. So that's why he called it that Russian name, the Sabai, whatever it was, monster. I'm not going to go back in my notes and look, but I said it earlier. That's how lazy I am. Just, Just go edit it from before and insert it. And just paste it in. Yeah. That's why he called it that Russian word. Uh, that, okay. that monster. Okay. But he later completely changed gears and said that the monster had been found by a Japanese whaling ship. Okay. Okay. And then after that, he said that somebody had stumbled across that block of ice with the creature in it in a commercial freezer in Hong Kong and no one knew where it came from. Oh, right? so it could be Yeti. Well, and it's interesting because a lot of people believe that it did come from somewhere in Asia. And we're talking like Pakistan, countries like that as well. Yeah, all through that yeah, area. Nepal. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Himalayas, right? Like that's India, like the, 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 that part of the world. And they're adamant, those people, that they exist. Do you know what? Anytime anyone says the word Himalayas... All I can think about is that shitty ride from the carnival when we were kids called the Himalayan. Yeah, which one was that? It was just you just got in a car and went in a circle, up yeah, and down. And there were mountains on the. Um, yes, that's right. Yes, you're and that, right. that's when, that's when the bored Carney would would blow that. Go, do you want to go faster? Yeah, and he'd play like he thought he was a DJ too. Yeah, yeah, right? and, he'd be playing like Leonard Skinner and stuff like that. And there'd be that whistle. Ooh, yeah. And then, but there was another incarnation of that ride. It, it became the Swiss Bob. Swiss Bob. It was a version of that. Yeah. It was the same. Yeah. It was probably just like a different manufacturer or whatever. So I, I could ride those when I was a kid. If I rode that now, I'd be nauseous for three days. I can't believe some of the rides that we got on when we were kids. Cause they were, f- I was once in a ride at the Ottawa uh, exhibition where it was like two Ferris wheels attached, but like, and you were in this car that could go upside down. Yes. 
I got, we got stuck upside down or it want, our thing wanted to flip upside down, but the ride was jammed. We were like there for an hour and a half. Really? And me and my buddy were just holding this little steering wheel, trying to keep it upright. Cause you, there wasn't even proper belts in this thing. I remember that little steering wheel. It was like a lap belt. Yeah. It was in a lot of rides. It was a lap belt. So if you went upside down, we were worried that we were going to then hit the ceiling. And then is that ceiling even constructed to hold our weight? You know, you know, the last scary ride I ever went on was, do you remember the super loop where you would just go upside down? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Went, I went on the super loop. Yeah. It's I, just a big, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I went on that. I got off and I felt drunk and I had to go home. I was so messed up. Like, oh, you know what else messes me up too? Those, those rides where you suddenly drop. Yeah. They really mess my inner ear up. And then I feel just really unwell. Well, Paramount, uh, Canada's Wonderland, which is a big theme park near Toronto, has a ride like that where you're like 200 feet in the air and it just drops. Mm-hmm. And it, it's controlled with pistons at the bottom, I guess, that break the fall. But That's why I'm so worried because you know I'm going to Disney World. I leave January 9th. And I'm really worried because all my friends want us to go on the Tower of Terror. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to feel that barfy feeling. I hate that feeling. I will. Well, that's what that is. Don't go on it then. I know, but they're they're so they're like, oh no, it's not bad. We've done it ten times. Well, your friends are mean. But I am going to Harry Potter Land. Are these your Hell's Angels friends? Yeah, they make drugs in their basement. Their girlfriends have no teeth. I shouldn't say that. The Hell's Angels are going to hear that. We we got to take that right out of this. Can you imagine they find me crucified and skinned? Oh, jeez. All right. So where was I? I was talking about the commercial freezer in Hong Kong. Now. There was also a tale that made the rounds that the creature had been shot by hunters in the White Face Reservoir area of Minnesota. So a bunch of hunters, I could just see them too, a bunch of hunters out, hey, what's that? I don't know, Brad, shoot it. And they shoot it, and it's it's that. And they, they end up putting it in ice and selling it. Oh, yeah. Now, this is the most popular origin story. This is the one that most people accept as fact, that the, the creature had been shot in Vietnam and transported to the U.S. in an aircraft. So an American had seen it and transported it to the U.S. to make money. Why? Why, why is that the most popular? Is there is there some evidence to suggest that this is true? No, there really isn't. But that's the one that's the most accepted. Apparently, there's like rumor that this creature had been seen in Vietnam, that people in Vietnam knew about it, blah, blah, blah. But I researched harder on this than I've researched on a lot of other episodes. Like, you know, some of the other ones I phoned this in, like the Marie Celeste. Yeah, well, I'd say most of them. Marie Celeste, you know, whatever. I just made shit that up. That was terrible. I made shit up. But then when they found the ship, everybody was there. Yeah. I just lied and said there was nobody there. Well, it was in the Boston Harbor the entire time. Well, remember, you... Just getting painted. The werewolf of Bedburg, you told me that was just a... I made it all up. Yeah, my, outside my house. I was like, oh, there, oh there's a story. And then I just made, <laughs> made up the rest. <laughs> I love you. And just in there, oh, there's a story. <laughs> so there's a tabloid back in the day uh, called the National Bulletin I have never heard of. No. It published an article, and it claimed, this is my favorite one, that a woman named Helen Westring had been hunting near Bemidji, Minnesota in 1966 when the creature attacked her, and so she shot it through the eye in defense, killing it instantly. Hmm. This is the only one that has a person's name and, and a date and all of it. And it, yeah. apparently it came out of the bush, and she was a hardy woman because she was hunting and had a gun on her and just shot it in the eye. Interesting. Here we have another origin story for you. Howard Ball. 
who made Creatures for Disneyland, claimed that he had made The Iceman in 1967 and that he had been asked to make a realistic Cro-Magnon man with a broken skull for exhibit. So this was what he did for a living. And, but everyone who saw the creature said the hair on it was so animalistic. That it was so, it was so well done that there's no way back then that they could have that it could have been artificially done because mm. it would have to have been done hair by hair, right? Stitched in. Yeah. Well, if you, if anyone's going to do it, it would be one of those people though, the Imagineers of Disney World. Did you ever watch that show? The 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 making of the theme park stuff. The Imagineers uh, miniseries on the Disney Channel. Oh my God, it's fantastic. Yes, I know. I think anybody who's creative should just watch it because it gives you just a shot of adrenaline. Have you been to you've been to Disney World, right? When I was a kid, yeah, we had a condo in Florida. You haven't been there since you were a kid. I haven't been there since 1979. Oh my God! Can I just tell you, my favorite place still to this day is the Magic Kingdom. I know, but the Magic Kingdom is so woven with our pasts, right? Right. It's such an important part of of growing up, and especially in our era. They've updated a lot of them, but the rides are great. They're fun. Yes, like the um, Hollywood Studios is great. There's some awesome rides there and all that. And Animal Kingdom is is Animal Kingdom has a phenomenal role. Well, do you know what I'm I'm most excited about? I'll tell you the three things that I'm most excited about. The first is, um, obviously, the Harry Potter, because we're going to Universal as well. Yeah. And I'm going to buy the wand, and I'm going to do the whole wizarding experience. I'm, I just have to. My second is to see um, Pandorum at night, because it's the Avatar set, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's part of Animal Kingdom. And they say at night, it all lights up cool it's supposed to be stunning and then the third thing that i'm most excited about seeing and this is the one where the big lines are the biggest is all of the star wars stuff yeah because it looks like you're there you're on tattooing yes so the rest of it whatever you know what i mean oh and i want to eat at sonic what's sonic it's like a shitty burger joint i've just never eat it eaten at sonic oh, okay yeah or or cheesecake factory well i even enjoyed the the food at disney Oh, the lines, though. The lines are so bad. Well, this is what you've got to do is you book. We would book. Uh, occasionally, we would book a meal, right? So we had a reservation. So yeah. You're not waiting. But you can, even if you're buying like a, a turkey leg from the stand, everything's good. The yeah, food's good. Yeah. There's a, st- a, a consistent standard. You know what I miss? I'm going to miss, though. The fact that a lot of the nostalgia rides are gone. Um the um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine, is that's gone. And the Tiki Room, which I loved with the birds. is gone. In the Tiki, 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 Tiki Room. The Bear Country, I think, is gone. Yeah. A lot of those. Um, uh, it's a small world. It, it's a small world. I think there. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride's still going. The Haunted Mansion. Which, that's been updated since I was there, though. Oh, it has? Oh, yeah. It's it's much more um, technically advanced. Oh, well, I probably, yes, I've seen it because I've, I've been there in the last 10 years. You so. know what? We're just going to miss Tron. They're doing Tron stuff. Yeah, they're doing a Tron roller coaster where you're on one of those um, motorcycles. Oh, neat. Yeah, they have one already at Disney um, Japan, I think, but it's not uh, it's not open yet in the U.S. But anyway, mm. I will, when I come back, we'll just take a chunk of the episode seriously and I'll just talk about what it was like. I'm sure people will find it interesting. I find it interesting. It's us. Well, if you find it interesting. <laughs> okay, Dan, we're almost at the end. This is the end, my friend. The Iceman, Dan. This is this is the part where you're going to go, oh. Resurfaced in 2013. Oh. When it appeared for auction on eBay. Really? Yes. And it was purchased by Mr. Steve Busti, and he operates a museum of the weird 
in Austin, Texas, and that's where it is now. And? People say it's not the same one. A lot of people have seen it who saw the original said that's definitely not the same one. And they believe that it's a replica that somebody made and it's definitely not the original. And not probably a real animal in the ice. A real person. I don't think that that would be allowed. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think the um, authorities would be a little bit more on the ball about it now. Yeah. So, Dan, um, to wrap this up in a beautiful package and put a bow on it, the Iceman of Minnesota is still known in carnival lore as one of the greatest sideshow attractions of all time. There you have the Iceman cometh. What did you think? The lasting image for me is going to be Jimmy Stewart being the guy, this creepy man that owns this factory and, and holds the secret. And like he has like a, a big ring of keys and he goes down to his basement and there's like a door and he opens it and there's the Iceman in this dark room. Instead of uh, Zuzu's petals, it's, oh, I've got some of the, the Iceman's fingernails here. Oh, there's one fingernail, uh, two fingernails. Oh, oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. By the way, I should have mentioned something else. Uh, I didn't actually put it in, but the teeth of the creature were also those of a hominid. Rather, they didn't have the big canines and stuff that the flesh rippers have. Interesting. I just learned about that watching a documentary this week because I'm thinking about changing to um, a plant-based diet. Oh, no. Yeah, hello, diarrhea. And one of the things that I didn't know is that our teeth are actually not the teeth of carnivores. We have the teeth of um, vegetable eaters. Interesting. To grind, not to rip and chew. Our incisors aren't big enough. We don't have vicious meat-eater teeth. I wonder if that's an, an evolutionary piece, though, right? Like Probably. Like evolved over the last... No, I'm, I'm actually seriously thinking about going plant-based, but that's another story for another day. Dan, tell me that you thought that the Iceman was as cool as I fucking did. I thought it was so cool. I, well, I, I, it's weird that this you you brought this up when you did, because I did just watch that documentary that sort of covers some of the things you were talking about. And it's fascinating. Uh, and again, what I liked about that National Geographic one is they, they it's possible. This is possible. Now, I'm I'm skeptical with this. It's too bad that the body just disappeared. I would have thought that that would have been kept by someone. I know. So that's a, that's a red flag, but a neat story. Very cool. I know. I had never heard of this before. I love the fact that it was a sideshow attraction and that these guys got involved, these cryptozoologists. And I now know what that means Yeah. precisely because I knew about it before, but I didn't know what it precisely meant. Those carnivals are also a little creepy. I love those things. And you know what? The carnivals aren't the same. There was a time in history when carnivals were just so fucking cool and weird and creepy. Super creepy. Oh, I think of the HBO show, right? Carnival. Carnival. Oh, that should have survived. It should have. It was such a gorgeous, 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 gorgeous piece. Four episodes too too short. Or four seasons too short. I yeah, it only say. ran two seasons, right? It was supposed to be six. Ah. Uh. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm, maybe you know what somebody might take that again and get, yeah, I could see it eventually one day. Because and what's good about that is that if they ever do, seasons three and four were supposed to be in a different time, and five and six were in a different time. So it's not like they need even that cast necessarily to do it. Do you know one of my favorite books and movies about carnivals? Well, the movie's okay; it didn't age well, but is a book by Ray Bradbury called "Something Wicked This Way Comes." Never seen it. It is such a beautiful book. Or read it. It is a beautiful. I'm going to buy it for you. I seriously am. It is one of the most beautifully written books. Nobody writes like Bradbury. Like nobody. Mm -hmm. He his language is half poetry, and mm -hmm. he talks about beware the autumn people 
and you know they come in October and they scuttle on feet and make noises in the leaves and it's beautiful. Mm. One of the acts in Ray Bradbury's carnival that he imagines in that book is this woman called the Dust Witch and she catches bullets in her teeth. They fire a gun at her and she catches the bullets. Anyway, I just love that story because it took me took us to the carnival and it, these cryptozoologists and they all quarreled about it and this and that and the FBI and. J. Edgar Hoover. That's a neat, fun little story. It is a fun little story. Certainly not dark and angry like the ones that I typically am producing now. And a good winter story, The Iceman of Minnesota. Yes. Yes. Because there's ice in the winter, Riley. Yeah, there is. That's about all there is right here at the moment. snow. Snow coming on the week. Okay, Dan, let's not keep these people any longer. They have babies to feed and baths to take and presents to wrap because tis the season. So, Mm. um, dear trusted, beloved listener. Thanks for making the journey with us. We ask that you, and I'm quoting, Dan made this up, share the word of the weird. I always, Dan, that's your slogan, share the word of the weird. Yes, it is, yes. So share the word of the weird with your friends. Um, If you know anybody that would like this podcast, tell them about it, because we want to build a substantial following so that we can retire and live in in glamour in in California. And dear untrusted listener, uh, enemy to the program. You know who you are. If you're still listening to this show, just want you to know that we get the last laugh, because there is a homing beacon implanted into this week's episode. And we're going to finally figure out where you are. If you're in Bhutan, well, then you're safe because we can't go there. I don't know how to get a visa to get into your country. There, I said it. It's closed doors. Okay, that's it for this week. Um, Join us next week when we'll have another tale of the fantastic, the bizarre, and the uncanny. Well, I'm doing it, so it's just going to be bloody and angry. (laughs) That's Dan. Okay, Dan, uh, that's all I got. So uh, see you next week, folks. Take care. Bye. Good night, everybody.